Let's pray together. Father, the fact that you know everything about us, not just our name, but every part of our heart. Lord, you know the pain that uh, people are feeling this morning. Father, you know the stress, the fear, the, the burdens, whatever they are. And you stand ready to hear our call. And I would just, God, I just ask you to come this morning and just power by your spirit that you'd come and you'd break into our hearts and you'd just pour out your grace and uh, fill us with your mercy today, Lord. And we'll honor you. Lord, I, I know that in the auditorium there's some uh, some men, some women, some young people, some children. God, that they need to encounter Christ. Their greatest need is to know you. And I pray that today they would discover you. God, others in the auditorium, we, we need you to do something new and fresh. We really need your best. And I pray this morning that you'd show us how to experience that. So we invite you to come and uh, show up in our life. And when you do, we'll give you the glory and the honor for it all. God, we ask these things now in the awesome name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much again for being here. Uh, we are, uh, if you're new, we're doing a series called Summer Road Trip. And uh, I understand while I was away, y'all went to the beach in Panama City and to Cooperstown, New York last week to the Hall of Fame. Today we're in New Orleans, and uh, so we'll deal with that in just a minute. Next week, um, we're going to Jackson, Mississippi. You'll just have to show up and see why we're there. But uh, I know some people love Mississippi, so uh, we've got, got some folks over here, some Mississippians. So, Greg, we'll look forward to you guys. I may be calling you this week to get some info. But uh, today we're in New Orleans, and I don't know what, when you think of New Orleans, I don't know what that means for you. Um, it's famous for a number of things. Obviously, one of the most recent things and most uh, significant things over the last couple of years has been Hurricane Katrina and all that was affiliated with that. But there's so much more that the city's famous for. I thought, well, I should bring something that represents New Orleans. And if you've ever spent any time on Bourbon Street, there's some things that represent New Orleans that I couldn't show you here today. And so we'll pass all those up. I didn't bring any of those. And... Uh, I thought about a crawfish, but I don't know if crawfish is, is it even in season, Sherry? It's, I think it's out of season. And so what I decided to do per Sherry Blackburn is I brought some beignets. I don't know if you went to the coffee bar, you had an opportunity to get a beignet. Now, if you go to the Cafe Du Monde in New Orleans, get you a cup of coffee. In a few minutes, they'll come throw these things out. Now, I thought about throwing them out, but there's so much powdered sugar on them, uh, I'll get in trouble for doing that, so I won't do that. I'll probably lick my fingers here in a minute. But I thought, uh, how fun. So if you have to have one, there's some here you can grab after the service. I've only handled them a little bit. But there are, there are some in the back. But we just thought, it, I appreciate Sherry doing that. Uh, but I want us to think a little bit about New Orleans. It was founded uh, in the early 1700s. I can't pronounce the guy's name. Uh, I'll try. It, it was uh, Sieur de la Bienville decided to find a port city five feet below sea, sea level right off the Gulf of Mexico and, and the Mississippi River. And so they had to drain the swamp. 
to start New Orleans. And so he started this place. And uh, before long, the Spanish took it over. And it wasn't long, or probably a few years, then the Spanish gave it back to the French. And if you remember history in the story, we bought the, uh, made the Louisiana Purchase in 1803, and so New Orleans became part of the United States. But there's, uh, New Orleans is a very interesting place. It's a, you might say it's a cultural gumbo because you've got the French influence, the Spanish influence, the American influence, the French Canadians. Then there's the African influence by way of the Caribbean. And, and then you factor in the, uh, the Cajuns. And so you've got this melting pot of culture. And there's some, you know, it makes for an interesting visit. It makes for uh, some good food. And uh, it makes kind of for sometimes for some crazy stuff as well. But it's uh, really an interesting place. There's the Creole architect and there's this hodgepodge of culture. And so when you throw it all together, it creates a really unique environment. And I don't know what the idea, the thought of New Orleans, I don't know what thoughts it stirs in your mind or in your heart. But one of the things that I remember about New Orleans and uh, actually from, from when I was in high school is it was referred to as the Big Easy. Really laid back. It's got good food and it's got some uh, jazz music, but it's really a laid back place. And I found that out the first couple times or the, not the first time, but the second, third time I went there, I found it to be a really laid back place. And so I want to capitalize on that term, the big easy. And so if you have your Bibles and we're going to look in Matthew chapter 11 and we're going to connect our message today to this idea of easy. So join me there, Matthew chapter 11. Why don't we stand together as we read God's word and just honor his word as we read it. Matthew chapter 11, if you don't have your copy of the word, there should be a, uh, a Bible in the pew in front of you. You free to grab that. We'd love for you to look along with us. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. It says, all things have been committed to me by my father. By the way, this is Jesus speaking. He says, all things have been committed to me by my father No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, there's that word, and my burden is light. All right, you can be seated. Thank you for honoring the Lord's word as we stand together. I kind of want to start with a story because I think it might paint a picture for where we are. Uh, Several years ago in the newspaper in Tacoma, Washington, there was an article about a dog named Tattoo. You may have read the article. Tattoo was a basset hound. And in one particular evening, he had no intention of going for a run, but his owner got in the car and shut the door. And when they shut the door, Tattoo's leash got caught in the door and the owner drove away. And then here's, by the way, Tattoo was a basset hound. So short legs, big body. Well, the motorcycle cops looking and here comes this car down the road dragging something behind it. And so he gets on his motorcycle and he motors down the road and he pulls the car over and he rescues Tattoo. The guy's name was Terry, I think, Filbert. But he said, before I could rescue the dog, this little basset hound reached speeds of 25 miles an hour. Can you imagine? You know, and said, obviously, it tumbled a few times. Now, that's a, if you're an animal lover especially, it's a sad story, but it kind of paints a little bit of a picture 
that might be descriptive of us. While Tattoo was picking them up and putting them down as fast as he could to keep up, some of you in your life are picking them up and putting them down as fast as you possibly can. And what you're trying to do is just keep up with the world around you. You're trying to keep up with your job and your kids and in your extracurricular activities and your church life, you know, whatever it is. But, and you're just so busy. And it's good for you to think about New Orleans because what you really need is you, you need to slow down. You need to take it easy. And so this morning, I want us to think about what Jesus had to say here about rest. Now, when we first think about rest, obviously, some people say, well, you know, does that mean that God wants to give us physical rest? Well, obviously, God wants you and me to have rest physically. But if that was all Jesus was talking about, you could take a nap and everything would be all right. The busyness, the stress, the fear, the frustration, the disappointments and the heartache, all of that would just go out of your life. If you just took a nap. So it's really not physical rest that he's talking about here. Or it could be, you might think, well, maybe it's emotional rest. Well, if it was emotional rest, if we were just tired emotionally and mentally, then we could take a vacation. You could go and be gone for a week or two and you'd come home and, and everything would be perfect. Your stress would be gone. Your fears would be gone. Your, you'd have peace in your life. And, and all these things that I think some of us are missing would be there. But it doesn't happen. I don't know how vacation works for you, but for me, when I go on vacation, I enjoy it. But I have to come home to rest and relax and get my life back settled and in order. And I think that's probably true for many of us. And so Jesus clearly wasn't talking about emotional rest. And he wasn't talking specifically about physical rest. Now, does he want us to have emotional rest? Sure. Does he want you to have physical rest? Absolutely. But what he's talking about here is a spiritual rest. And we'll define it in some detail in just a minute. But I want you to notice that in his conversation with this crowd, Jesus is identifying two different types of rest. Look in your copy of the word there. Look at verse 28. And notice what he says. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so I want you to think with me for a minute. There is a spiritual rest that God wants to give to you, that Jesus will give to you. And when you come to him, you get that. I'll explain it in more detail in just a moment. But there is a an aspect of spiritual rest that God specifically gives to us when we come to Jesus. But look at verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And so while we're talking about spiritual rest, Jesus was talking about two different kinds. There is a rest that can come to you that he gives. But there is another rest that you and I have to find. And this morning I want to spend a few minutes explaining or talking about what it is and how you can find it. Because it is the key. The second rest is the real key to you. Uh, having God's best in your life. So first of all, let's talk about the first type of rest. Jesus says there, he says, come to me. Now, let me give you some context. He's talking to uh, a Jewish crowd. Obviously, his disciples are in the crowd, but it's a Jewish crowd. And if you know anything about the Jews, there were the Pharisees, and they were very religious people. And you know, as Pharisees and religious people, they had a lot of rules. 
historians tell us there were over 600 rules. There were 300 odd rules that you, things you couldn't do. And there were like 295 or 75 rules that you were supposed to do. And so they had over 600 rules that you were supposed to keep. Can anybody keep 600 rules? Neither could they. We can't keep the rules. They couldn't keep the rules. And so what it did, because their religion had all these rules, it was a burden. And so Jesus said, all you that are heavy burden, he was talking, see, all of you that cannot keep the rules, all of you that cannot measure up, all of you that cannot do everything that religion and the law says that you need to do, you need to come to me. Now, in our culture, we don't have 600 rules. But in our culture, we have a mentality that if you're going to have spiritual rest, you've got to, either you got to be good or you got to go to church and check that box off your list or you got to go to a Sunday school or small group and check that box off your list or you got to go to Bible study and you check that off your list. Those are good things. Church is a good thing. I'm glad that you're here. I'm here most weeks and church is extremely important. But Jesus didn't say come to church to get rest. He didn't say come to group to get rest. He said come to me. And if you're going to have spiritual rest in your life, you've got to go to Jesus. There's nowhere else that you can get it. Now, you can find it in the message at church. You can find it uh, in the message at Bible study. You may find it in, in the message of a small group. But at the end of the day, you've got to be willing. Jesus says, you've got to come to me. Because the culture there said, come to Moses and the law. The culture there said, come to the synagogue. Our culture says, come and be a good boy or come and be a good girl and you'll be okay. But Jesus says, no, you need to come to me. Because if you come to me, I will give you rest. And so my question uh, for all of us this morning is, has there been a specific time in your life when you have personally came to Jesus and said to him in some way, shape, or form, Jesus, here I am. I need you. Have you surrendered or given your life to Christ by putting your faith in him and repenting and turning from your sin? It's not enough just to come to church. It's not enough to just have some facts about God. It's not enough to say, well, I, I want to I be better. And if I'm better, I'm going to be okay. No, Jesus says, come to me. In fact, the Bible says in John 14, 6, Jesus was speaking and he said, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so if you want to get to God, if you want to get to God, Jesus is the only way. Now, we live in a culture that says, well, this religion is as good as that religion, and this is as good as that. I, I was sitting on an airplane the other night uh, beside a lady, and uh, she, she said, well, you know, I'm very spiritual. Now, I don't know what that means, but we have a lot of people in our culture, they're very spiritual. But Jesus said, if you want to get to God, if you want to have rest, spiritual rest, you got to come to me. And so the question that I would have for you is have you, have you personally came to know Jesus as your source of spiritual rest? And it's either yes or no. It's not joining the Baptist church or the Methodist church or the Catholic or any other church. It's not about, it's not even 
about getting baptized. It's about getting to know Jesus personally. And has that happened for you? And I would dare say that many of us here this morning would say, yes, Mike, I've come to know Christ. Uh, He's given me rest. Many of you would say that, like I would say that. So that's the first kind of rest. Now, that he gives us that. But sadly enough, many of us settle for just that. And we go through life thinking, well, I, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm going to go to heaven one day. So I'm going to do my own thing. And we miss out on what God has for us. I want you to look at your word there, uh, the copy of the word. And and again, at verse 28, it says, I will give you rest. And then verse 29, he says, and you will find rest for your soul. Rest is an interesting term because it has a spiritual connotation. And and obviously there's a passage over, and if you're familiar uh, with the scriptures, there's a passage over in Hebrews 3 and 4, chapter 3 and 4, where it talks about the rest, the spiritual rest. And it's a reference back to the Old Testament. As I began to look at this this week, as I began to study this, I began to look at that text in Hebrews. And, and then um, I turned on the radio, listened to some TV preachers or radio preachers this week. And, and on two different occasions, they were talking about this very subject. They were talking about the subject of spiritual rest. And they were looking uh, at the nation of Israel. And so what I want us to do is I want us to go back and I want us to think about Israel for a minute because there's a really neat picture that I want you to be able to see. And it might be true of you. And if it's true of you, I want to help you discover what's God best, what God's best is. And so if we were to look at that passage in Hebrews, it, it would, it refers back. It says in the Old Testament, there was a period where Israel hardened their heart and they rebelled against God. Well, we remember what that is. Remember Israel was in Egypt. Remember Joseph was sold to Egypt and he went down there and got married and the family came down later and then they began to reproduce and multiply and have kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And in about 400 years, there was probably over a million of them. So there's a boatload of Jews, Israelites in Egypt. Do you remember what happened? God raised up Moses and Moses came and he began to try to lead them out of Israel and he brought the plagues to Pharaoh and they went one and two and three and four and five and all the way to nine and they wouldn't let the people go. But ultimately the last plague, you remember what it was? Anybody? What was the last plague? The the firstborn, yeah, the, the death of the firstborn. Do you remember how they kept from having their family under the judgment? They slaughtered the Passover lamb, remember? And they took the blood from the lamb and they put it on the lintel and then they put it on the doorpost of the door of their home. And everywhere in Egypt that there was blood over the lintel and on the doorpost from the Passover lamb, every home the angel of death passed over and there was no death in that home. But every home, non-Jewish home, that didn't have that. The firstborn died. Son, daughter, cow, pig, whatever. The firstborn. And if you remember when that happened, Pharaoh said to Israel, get out, get away. And so the picture that I want you to grasp from that is that God used the blood of the Passover lamb as the picture of delivering Egypt from their bondage. Okay? The blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb, delivered Egypt or Israel from their bondage in Egypt. And so all of Israel 
was delivered. And so in effect, that is a picture. Stay with me on this. That is a picture of salvation. So when you come to Jesus, when he says you come to me and he gives you rest, what happens in effect is when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, then his blood sets you free from your bondage to sin and you have rest, spiritual rest. We might call it salvation rest. In other words, when you give your life to Jesus by faith and through repentance, you're saved and you're forgiven. You're set free from the bondage of sin. In other words, you're, you're brought out of Egypt, right? You're free from your sin. You're going to go to heaven. And that was true of Israel. But God wanted more from Israel than to bring them into the wilderness. God wanted them to go to the promised land. And if you know the story, and if you remember the story, they wandered around for a little while, and then they sent the spies into the land. And uh, that's what I was learning about, listening to these guys this week. And they sent the spies into the land. And, And we know the story. There were 12 of them, and they saw this stuff. And, man, it was good. They had big pomegranates, and it took two men to carry the grapes. I mean, this stuff was awesome. You can read about it in Numbers 13 and Numbers 14. But when they came back, They gave a report and they said, man, there is some great stuff in Canaan across the river. Man, this promised land of God, it is awesome. But there's some giants over there. And when Israel heard about the giants, 10 of the spies convinced Israel, you don't want to go there. And so they didn't go. And what happened was, except for Caleb and Joshua... Every male adult died in the desert and they never experienced the promised land. Now, I know you're going, okay, how does that apply to me? Here's how it applies to you and me. When God saves you and you're forgiven and he gives you salvation rest, you're going to go to heaven when you die. But God has more than that for you in this life. God wants you and me to live in the promised land. God wants us to have his best. And so when we see that word rest, you will find rest for your souls. You could almost just write the word best. Because God has a best plan for your life. But you've got to... And I have to, we have to appropriate that. Salvation is free, but following Christ and having his best cost us something. Okay? I want you to go with it. Let me, let me just show you this. Take your Bibles and turn over to Hebrews chapter 3. Because I, I want you to see why they didn't, why Israel didn't get what God had for them. And... Uh, Then we're going to talk for just a minute on how you and I can have the very best that God has for us. Hebrews chapter 3. You may want to read the story. I'm not going to read all the verses. Let me just um, pick up in verse 16 of Hebrews 3. They've hardened their hearts as they did in the rebellion. Verse 16 says, Who were they who heard and rebelled? That was Israel. That was the spies in all of Israel. Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert, and to whom God did swear that they would never enter his rest? Again, what was his rest? The promised land, the land of milk and honey. If not those who disobeyed. So we see 
that they were not able to enter. Now, I want you to underline in your Bible this phrase, because of their unbelief. They didn't get God's best because of their unbelief. Now, they had already been brought out of Egypt. The blood of the Passover lamb had already freed them from bondage. But they didn't get to the promised land. And then let's look down in chapter 4. Let's pick up in verse 6. Um, well, let's read verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Here's what I want to say. That promised blessing that God had for Israel, God wants you. There is a, there is a best for your life that God wants you to have. It's better than what you got. I don't know what you got now, but God's got something better for you. And he's got something better for me. Just like he had something better for Israel. They didn't get it because of their unbelief. And then look down at verse 6. Verse 6 says, It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in. Now listen to this statement. Because of their disobedience. Now they had been free. They had been delivered from bondage. But they never got to the promised land. They never got the best God had because of unbelief and disobedience. And so what I would say to you this morning, when Jesus stood before that group and said, come to me, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and and learn from me and you will find rest. Here's what he was saying. When you come to me, salvation is free. But if you want God's best for your life, It's going to cost you something. You're going to have to have faith. And you're going to have to have obedience. And so if you want God's best, you've got to be willing to come to Jesus on his terms and obey him and follow him. Now, how do we do that? How is it that you and I can can discover uh, and experience God's best? Well, go back to Matthew chapter 11. And we'll see right out of our text, there's a couple thoughts that I'll share with you that, that I believe are the key. In fact, I don't believe, I know. Jesus has said, this is the key. If you want God's best for your life, if you want, you know, salvation rest is to be saved. You might even use a term, we could coin a term from uh, the book of Hebrews, Sabbath rest. Uh, we never think about that. I know you, some of you kids are thinking, what is Sabbath rest? Well, let me give you a little insight that I've kind of learned this week. When God finished creating everything, on day seven, he what? He rested, right? No, was God tired? Was God tired? No. He he can't get tired because he spoke and it came into existence. So what did God, why did God rest? God rested, or I think, this is my thought, His rest was to enjoy what he had made. And so the Sabbath rest is that that opportunity to enjoy what God has made. And so what God wants you and me, God wants us to be able to enjoy what he's made for us. You see, God's got a plan for your life. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. God's got this plan for your life. And he wants, it's, it's the best. And he wants you to have it. But in order to have it, 
You got to have faith and obedience. And so Jesus tells us how to do that. Go back, verse 28 of Matthew 11 says, or verse 29, it says, take my yoke upon you. Anybody know what a yoke is? I'm not talking about the egg. It's not the yellow thing in the egg. What, can we put that up? It's a, or, or two yoke of ox, or a yoke of ox and not two yoke, two yokes, two yoke. That's a yoke. That's what they would use to, to put two animals together. Go ahead and flash the next picture. Here's an example. The two yoke of oxen. They look like cows to me, but we'll call them oxen, okay? But, but anyway, so that's a yoke. We're not, obviously, from a practical standpoint, a yoke is simply a way to connect two animals together. Now, sometimes in scripture, oftentimes in scripture, to take someone's yoke meant that you became a follower of that person. Literally, it meant you became a submitted follower, an obedient follower. And so here's what Jesus was saying to all those people that are gathered there. He's saying, if you come to me, I will give you rest. He says, but if you will take my yoke upon you and learn from me, you will find the rest for your souls. In other words, you'll get saved when you come to me, but you'll begin to experience God's best when you take my yoke and you follow me. Now, I want to to share with us three thoughts about the yoke just to kind of give us some perspective. This is just a word picture that Jesus gave. But when you take Jesus' yoke, here's what this means uh, for you and for me. First of all, if we were to take Christ's yoke upon us, that would first mean that we would be connected to Jesus. In other words, that's simply being with Jesus. If you want to have God's best, it starts with you. Being with Jesus. Now, if you're going to put those two yoke, those two oxen in, the, in a yoke, you know what you got to do first? You got to get them close together, right? You got to get them close. If you're going to, if you're going to take a yoke, if you're going to take Jesus' yoke upon you, then what you've got to do is you've got to get close to Jesus. You've got to get in close proximity to Jesus. And, and it's not, it's not just going to happen if you show up on Sunday a couple times a month. If you want to take Jesus' yoke and begin to experience his best for your life, you've got to decide that you're going to spend time. You're going to get in close proximity to Jesus on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and on Sunday. Because that's the way you get together. And, and, and listen, some of you, I don't, I don't mean this bad, but you don't ever open God's word during the week and get in close proximity to Jesus. You don't get alone and pray and seek his face during the week. And because that, you can, you're never going to be able to experience his best because you're not close to him. And so the first idea of taking his yoke means that you get connected with him. You get in close proximity and you spend time with him. But it's not just about connection. You know, once you get yoked up with Jesus, there's another word that comes along there. And that is the idea of connection or excuse me, direction. If you, if you put two together like these two ox, how many directions can they go at once? One, right? Now, if I was betting, I believe the black one's bigger. He's a little wider and a little taller. So if, if I had to bet, I think the black one would probably lead. But if you put two living 
organisms or animals, people in a yoke, whoever's biggest, boldest, and baddest is going to decide where you go, right? You've seen these people in the mall, they put this thing on their kids and their kids pull them all over the mall. Have you, have y'all seen that? Cause the kids bigger and badder and bolder, or they're not bigger, they're just bolder. Well, if we get yoked up with Jesus, and if we take his yoke and, and we put his yoke on us, who, who's going to set the direction? Who's the biggest, the boldest, and the baddest? It's not you or me. It's Jesus. And so to take his yoke upon me, all that is, that's just saying that I'm willing to, to, to come to Jesus and bring my desires and my wants and my agenda and say, okay, Jesus, I'm hooking up with you and I'm going to go wherever you go and I'm going to walk away from whatever I want to do. Now then, when we start talking about following his direction, as opposed to following our own direction, that's where the water starts to get deep. And so you remember what happened to Israel? Unbelief and disobedience kept them from God's best. And if you're not careful, and if I'm not careful, unbelief, lack of trust will keep us from following his direction. And if we are not willing to follow his direction, we will not experience his best. Not that what you have is not good. I'm not saying it's not good. But I promise on the authority of his word, his best for you will come for you. And it will come for me when we're willing to connect with him and go his direction. And so that yoke is a picture Obviously, of connection is to be with Jesus. Its direction is to follow Jesus. But there's a third idea there that the yoke. Why do you yoke two oxen together? To work, right? So the idea, there's connection, there's direction. Then there's the idea of cooperation. And simply what that means is, is that we begin to work with Jesus to, to do things that matter for the kingdom. And so part of, part of me taking his yoke upon me and part of you taking his yoke upon you is for God to take the gifts and all that he's given us and to come alongside of us and to help us and to use us to do things for the kingdom that we could never do by ourselves. I mean, there's some things that God wants to do in your life. You'll never do them by yourself. You don't have the strength. You don't have the power. You don't have the authority. And neither do I. Here, here's a picture, kind of an illustration. About three years ago, we went to, we, my family and I, we flew up to, uh, actually went to Minnesota. We were going to Iowa to a graduation. But we flew into Minneapolis. Anybody been to Minneapolis? Anybody been to Mall America? Any? That thing's huge. It's like six stories. They got a theme park in the atrium. I mean, they, all this stuff. And so here we are. My baby's two and a half at that time. So she's about 35 and a half inches tall. And so, you know, when you go to the rides at the parks, you know what they have, don't you? They have the little measuring thing. If you're 36 inches, you can ride. Or if you're 36 inches, you can ride without an adult. And so we, you know, Carly Ann's two and a half. If, for those of you that have little ones, you know, Blue's Clues. Anybody remember Blue's Clues? Some of you, some of you have to watch it every week still. There's a Blue's Clues ride that's pink and blue elephants. Carly Ann's like, Blue's Clues! 
So we go up to the ride. Guess what? You have to be 36 inches to ride by yourself. She's 35 and a half. I, I mean, she's just this close. And so I said to the girl, I says, does, does her hair bow count? Can't she ride? And she, here's what she said. She says, if you ride with her, she can go. Can you see me in the pink and blue, Blue's Clues elephant? When I rode with her, she had the authority to do things she could not do by herself. When you and I get yoked and connected to Jesus, he gives us the authority and the power to do things we could never do by ourselves. In fact, Jesus talked about it. John chapter 15, you, you're, you're familiar with this verse. John 15, uh, I think it's verse 5. We'll, we'll look at 5 and 8. John 15, 5 and 8. 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But then he says this. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You'll bear much fruit if you remain in me, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Then verse 8 says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now here's kind of the measuring stick if you want to, if you want to measure your life and find out if you've got salvation rest and the second, the, the rest that He will give you, just look at your fruit. Because when we're yoked to Jesus, we're connected, directed, and cooperating. Guess what happens? We're bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. Because Jesus says, this is to my Father's glory. Not that we come to church, although I'm an advocate, please come. Not that we be a good boy. I'm an advocate. You should be a good boy or a good girl. But Jesus says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear fruit. And the only way we can bear fruit is to be connected to Jesus. And the way we're connected to Jesus is we, we take his yoke upon us. And that means we connect with him. That means that we're directed by him. If he says, this is my agenda for you, Mike, I want you to go over here and I want you to talk about this and I want you to say this, then that means I'm willing to go over there and I'm willing to talk about that and say that. I'm willing to set mine aside. And so where what happens in the Christian life oftentimes is we talk about, oh, come to Jesus. When you come to Jesus, you'll be saved and you'll go to heaven. And that is so true. That is absolutely true. But God has more for you. And God has more for me than just... Pie in the sky when we die in the sweet by and by. God wants you to experience his best now. And it comes through obedience. It comes when you and I are willing to come to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, what is your plan for me? God doesn't say, now, you come tell me all you want to do and I'll just bless it. Then that's not God's best. God's best is when we come over here and say, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm signing up. Wherever you say go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Now, a lot of us are saying, but I don't know if, I don't know that I want that. Right? I mean, just be honest. Do we really want to 
check our desires at the door and say, okay, Jesus, not my agenda, but yours. Not my money, but yours. Not my time, but yours. Not my gifts, but yours. We're hesitant. David Jeremiah made a great statement. I was listening to him this week. He said, he says, we're more than willing to trust God for eternity. He says, the problem is, we're afraid to trust him for next week. Because eternity, we're dead, or at least out of this life. But next week, we might want to go golfing or whatever. And God might want us to do something else. And so, so we've got, we've, there's this tension. We want enough of Jesus to get us into heaven. But we're not sure we want to sell out all the way. Because if I give him, if I go his way, then what about, what about my way? And so there's this tension. And some of you are feeling it right now. How do I invest the rest of my life? How do I spend the rest of my life? What do I do with my time? How do I spend my money? How does God want to use this? And what does God want to do? And, and we, all these things are going through your mind. Let me give you some clarity. If you'll take his yoke and follow him, you'll get the best he has for you. You'll get his promised land in your life now if you're willing to believe and obey. You don't have to. Israel didn't have to. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and died. And they never saw the promised land. And what I don't want to happen for you and what I don't want to happen for me is that we wander around for 10, 20, or 30 years and never see God's best in our life. If, if we can trust Him for eternity, can't we trust Him with tomorrow? If we trust Him for heaven, can't we trust Him Can't we? Come to Jesus. He'll give you rest. Take his yoke and you'll find his very best.